0: Greetings, everyone. This is Jim Emmerich. Welcome to The Joint Cast, interviews and short stories from across the world that connect us with people who wish to share their stories about leadership, where this passion comes from, and the goodness that results. In episode 18, we meet S. Chris Edmonds, founder and CEO of the Purposeful Culture Group. For nearly three decades, industry-leading executives have sought Chris out to help them build and sustain values-aligned cultures that are purposeful, positive, and productive. When it comes to improving workplace cultures, Chris cut his teeth in the trenches through 15 years of leading and managing teams. Realizing he had a knack and a passion for getting people on the same page and working well together, Chris launched his consultancy in 1990. A few years later, he also became a highly regarded senior consultant for the Ken Blanchard companies. Today, Chris is a sought-after speaker, author, and executive consultant. He's the author or co-author of seven books, including two Amazon bestsellers, The Culture Engine, and leading at a higher level with Ken Blanchard. Chris is an avid blogger and videocaster and is regularly featured on global news outlets such as Forbes and The Economist. Welcome, everyone. We have Chris Edmonds today, who is the author of The Culture Engine, and if I may dare say, uh, a point of personal privilege, uh, a Colorado neighbor. Welcome, Chris.
1: Jim, thanks so much for the opportunity. It's a pleasure to be here, and, and uh, so so appreciate your insights into the book and into leadership.
0: Wonderful. Now, before we get started into the book, Chris, you're a musician. Tell us about that.
1: <laughs> well, I, I, I have been a musician forever, and um, I lost a semester in college in the early 70s chasing a record deal in Hollywood. And, and you know, there's, there's that whole thing of, you know, I, if I hadn't taken that path, I'd have always regretted it. So so the way I've kind of learned how to satisfy the need to wow audiences in in, in a musical format is I've been in bands forever. And uh, the current band here in, in the Rocky Mountains has been together for 11 years. <laughs> Most bands haven't been together for 11 months, right? And so... This team is, is, as you might guess, values aligned. Um, these are exceptional musicians. And um, we all kind of went through in our younger years chasing the dream and realized it's a lot more fun to, to perform with people you like God forbid that you love working with, and that you trust. And so this team is is pretty amazing. And and um, we're we're busy. This is our busiest time of year, um, spring, summer, weddings, and corporate gigs. And and we actually have um, five. I think we do. We have five separate nights where we're headlining at the infamous, legendary Little Bear Saloon in in Evergreen, Colorado. We don't do a lot of public shows, um, but we do everything from country and country rock to Lady Gaga and Pink and and uh, classic rock and and, uh, and our own music as well. And so I get to play guitars and banjo and mandolin and do vocals and it's it's just an immense joy if i could make money at that you and i might never have met but you know i've got a real job as does everybody else well now now i've got another
0: excuse to 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 visit you out in colorado so so for for the other stuff what we're going to talk about how do people find you
1: oh good Uh, my website is driving results through Culture, one long word, no spaces, no hyphens. So through drivingresultsthroughculture.com. I can be found on Twitter at S, as in Steven, C for Chris Edmonds, S-C Edmonds uh, on Twitter. And once you get to my Driving Results Through Culture site, you can find me on Facebook and on LinkedIn, and I have a YouTube channel. So all those links are right there for everybody.
0: Now, when we met a, about a month ago... And mm-hmm. and I must say it was I believe it's the first time I've received an author, an author's book hand delivered to a Starbucks <laughs> in the <laughs> that afternoon. Was easy. Very very fun way to do that. Yeah. Uh, you, you have a pretty eclectic background, Chris. Yeah. And I just pulled one thing out of it that I thought you might want to tell us a short story about. Tell us about all your time with the the YMCA.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. My father was commissioner of real estate in the state of California for eight years in the 80s under George Duke Mason. And and dad had helped his father build a mortgage banking company. And so my brother being nine years older, my brother went down the path of organic chemistry. How's that? And uh, got his doctorate in that and went off down a very different path than mortgage banking. And I decided I was going to run camping programs. I was going to drive buses. I was going to play guitar around the campfire. I was going to create these wonderful character-building programs, and the YMCA was where I got exposed to that. So, my father was frustrated with both of his sons, but for me, it was such a logical opportunity. I had I had really grown up in the Y. I'd started, um, boy, I think. Dad and I joined a father-son program when I was in kindergarten. So I went through high school in YMCA clubs and, and family kinds of, of programs and, and was just so immersed in it that it was very easy for me uh, to choose that as a profession. And I stayed for 15 years. And I'll tell you, I had some of the most... Interesting learning experiences about managing kids, about managing parents, about training adults to help raise money for a nonprofit, which of course the the, the YMCA was, um, to be able to inspire college kids to come and be a camp counselor for a week, right, or or to work, you know, at my pool or in my day camp program for a summer, and to realize that it wasn't all fun and games; that there was. There were values that I expected. There was a a purpose in mind that we're building character. So you can't go out and get drunk and right be thrown into jail. You're not going to stay here if that happens. And so there was some wonderful kind of consistency to these are the right behaviors. These are are the right values to be promoting. And the more families and kind of engage in this and buy this, the better those families are. So you know, here we are. Boy, a number of years later, that was 35 years ago plus uh, that that I left the Y and and yet had one of my best bosses who I, I call out in my book quite regularly. Jerry Nutter was was a brilliant, wonderful mentor and coach of mine in my YMCA days. And at the same time, as, as anyone might do over the course of a 15-year career, I had some really terrible <clears throat> bosses as well, but they all taught me a great deal. Some of the learning was a little more painful, um, a little more more anxiety and stressful, but um, it was all good learning nonetheless.
0: When you put it that way, now it sounds like an organic path.
1: It's interesting. I I was thinking about this. Uh, You know, it's Jim. I bet you the same way. We have books everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. And so my lovely wife says that's the shelf for books, and it's and you have too many books there, so you have you have to call. You have to give some away. So one of the books that I found was from. Oh, my Lord, 1973, and it's called Values Clarification, and it is dog-eared, and it is post-its everywhere, and that was one of the first structured learning experiences that I had, reading that book and, and using that book in some programs that I was building at that time for the YMCA, um, where where there was... There was some benefit to formalizing values, and here we are still talking about the benefit of formalizing values many, many years later.
0: How about that? Now, let's turn the audience to your book, The Culture Engine, and uh, a note, E.E. Cummings style, that's all lowercase, The Culture Engine, Chris Edmonds. So so first of all, just go get the book. And one of the reasons why, and it jumps right out when you open the book, you, you call to develop an organizational constitution. Yeah. That's pretty darn unusual. That suggests great experience leading to that construct. When did you first come up with that idea?
1: You know, it's 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 interesting because thinking about, right, 1970 and, and slightly after, <laughs> in my college years, graduated in 74, understanding the ability to get agreement and to get structure um, is going to help people align to things that you want, right? Whether that's a, a servant purpose or whether it's a, an incredible vision that, you know, doing something with a company that's never been done before or its values and, and how you treat others, structure and agreement um, has has always been kind of a part of, of my approach. And so as I began, literally stumbled into doing culture consulting about 25 years ago, um, it had been really people's awareness of how I chose to, to manage teams, how I ran my business, how I ran my YMCA branches, that that gave me some credibility with those folks saying, come help us, right? And so the more I got into um, trying to create a bit of a Template: a bit of a repeatable process. that I could go into different companies, different industries, different countries, that this template would help leaders realize that they're investing far too much time and energy focusing on results exclusively. Results are a very good thing. Results help make us money, right? Don't hear that I'm discounting results. Results are half. Of the leader's job. And what the culture engine does, and what an organizational constitution does, is it allows leaders to do the other half of their job, which is to ensure people treat each other kindly every day. Imagine that. So it's about values, it's about ensuring that you define. An organizational constitution, the language is so wonderfully Western. Um, We can go back to the Magna Carta, right? But the language is well-known globally. I can speak about an organizational constitution, and leaders nod their heads, oh, what's in it, right? And they get their pens and pencils out, or they get their iPads out and their tablets and start to type, right? And it's simply a document, that enables leaders to be as specific about the citizenship they expect of people on their team, right, of, of people in their organization, as they are about the results that they expect. So, in essence, what an organizational constitution does is it creates formal standards it creates clear expectations and there's four pieces. Um, the first is that servant purpose it's the idea that um, if if the only reason that you as a leader communicate to your team to your company, That the reason for the company is to make money, well, that didn't really impact a whole lot of people because it's not by its nature beneficial, except maybe you'll keep the doors open and I can have a job right next month and and next year as well. But it's not motivating. It's not inspiring. So the servant purpose is about how do you serve others? How are you making your customers' quality of life better? And therefore, how are you helping make employees' lives better? How are you helping improve the quality of life in your community? So it gets leaders, again, away from the my sole reason for being is to make money. So servant purpose clearly says to what end? How, how are you as a team, as a division, as a multinational, everything in between, helping others Thrive. So that's an interesting place to go. The second piece is these values and formalizing values in measurable terms. And we can speak a bit more about that in in a little bit because the idea about values is many organizations have them, but they're not observable, tangible, measurable. And therefore, they are ideals, they are aspirational but it's hard to hold someone accountable to a fuzzy idea and if you think about what i want to do with getting values defined in observable tangible measurable terms is to have you be able to say integrity means you doing what you say you will do period and and maybe there's two other behaviors you'd want to throw in there but maybe you're going to need behaviors around safety that are very, very similar. And they're very simply proactive. They're positively stated, right? But they are, I can watch you for a month, I can watch you for three months and be able to rate you on a scale of one through six, right, on the degree to which you are actually demonstrating that behavior. So we shift values from these fuzzy, lofty aspirational terms to these are the this is how you treat others today, every day. This is this is the gig. And if you can't do that, well, you may be a delightful person, but you can't stay here. You cannot treat others in a demeaning fashion, a discounting fashion, a dismissive fashion. You cannot stay here. And so that's an interesting you can you can tell that an organizational constitution isn't simply a document that you complete and then you post on SharePoint. (laughs) It is actually a document that crafts a different way of operating the business. And leaders have to live it. Leaders have to model it. Leaders have to coach it. And you no longer tolerate bad behavior. Now, the other two pieces of an organizational constitution are strategies and goals. So we take care of the result side of things, right? Strategies are, are, are your market opportunities and and what's your plan for uh, bringing new, cool, amazing products and services to customers um, such that they'll be with you forever, right? With you for a long time. And the goals are those tactical results, those targets around how are our products and services being delivered and being implemented and being marketed and all that. So you can tell that within this organizational constitution, the construct is a great word, because in essence, by (laughs) infecting leaders with this idea, I'm changing their understanding of what a good leader does. It's not just driving results. It's driving results while crafting a purposeful, positive culture at the same time.
0: Fantastic. Now let's let's wheel back a little bit in case we're getting ahead of our audience. I'm thinking about how to start. And mm. your book called a lot for alignment, especially yep. in the early part, like Jim Collins. And I yep. I consider I consider the, the two of you intellectual companions as a result. But for for someone listening to this, how can we uh, a new leader, perhaps, how can they begin to think about what alignment really means on a day to day basis?
1: Well, think of it as, and we're going to use the alignment piece on on two fronts, right? We're going to do the performance alignment, and we're going to do values alignment. So let's talk about performance alignment, because that, um, for better or worse, is typically where leaders invest a lot of time and energy. Not a bad thing, right? Again, we are promoting um, meeting or exceeding um, the results results targets that we've set, right, for, for, for ourselves and for our teams and for our overarching company. And so alignment to performance means that you are steadily tracking goal accomplishment. You're tracking uh, if goals are exceeded, then let's bump that 10% here this quarter, see if we can do better, right, that there's a constant not only target setting process and then let's compare let's see through the progress of a 12-month period or the progress of a two-year period let's make sure that we are keeping everyone aligned to the performance of the products and services that in essence we've promised to our customers and our stakeholders so there's a there's an alignment piece around delivering what we've promised from a products and service side and again That's half the leader's job. So the other half of the leader's job is to define values in observable, tangible, measurable terms, and then aligning people to those behaviors. And what this allows is there's a lot of the same tactics that a leader might use when managing performance targets that they can translate rather simply into the realm of citizenship of teamwork of of kind treatment of civil treatment god forbid right and so we get crystal clear expectations, just as you might, for example, say, if you're in a, in a sales role, you're going to sell five cars every month. By the way, I've never been a, a car salesperson. I have no idea if that's good or if that's bad or whatever. But hypothetically, let's throw that out there. So if you're going to sell five cars a month, then we're going to be looking at all kinds of tactical things about, you know, how many people do you see every day? How do you do follow ups, yada, 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 right? There's, there's some understanding that there's a huge amount of time, and energy there's little things that must be done that will lead you to i mean maybe it's 50 people you see a month but only five buy. well if five's your target five's good right but if you have to sell 20 then maybe you need to see more right engage more than with just those 50 people that might have satisfied that earlier target so The alignment piece as you translate that into valued behaviors is if integrity is I do what I say I will do, I keep my commitments. If respect is I treat you with dignity and respect, it's like, well, you can't define respect (laughs) by using the word I, I know, I know, and I've got a bunch of examples we can use. But the idea is the tactics of aligning values into the way people actually treat each other is you as a leader not only have to model each of those behaviors, but you have to be able to nimbly observe them in others, especially your own team, and then to immediately coach. Aha, now we get into coaching. And just as leaders are comfortable with looking at the tactics, right, if I'm going to sell five cars, how? What are, what are all these small but critically important steps I must take to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to reach the right people to get those sales. In essence, what alignment to values means is you need to live the behaviors, observe the behaviors and coach the behaviors. And the coaching piece is very simple. Once you see behaviors that people are modeling and they are the behaviors that you want, in essence they're your valued behaviors, then you need to jump in, praise the tar out of that. You need to actually have positive consequences be expressed, right? You don't go thinking, oh boy, Jim did a great job with that conversation you know, with that customer or with that internal peer. But if I don't say something to you, then you're not noticing that I'm noticing. And if you're not noticing that I'm noticing, but I'm noticing all the results, then the very not-so-subtle message you're gonna get is, yes, we have values, yes, we have behaviors, but no one's watching, no one's paying attention. So again, this gets to that other half of the leader's job and the alignment around encouraging, demanding, Citizenship, as you've defined it, is critical, which means when you see people treating others in ways that miss, that fall short of the values standards you've created, you must jump and, and express in a non judgmental, kind, yet firm way, Chris, 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 that's not how we treat people around here. And, and as you can guess, the alignment's only going to happen with conversation and with coaching and with modeling. And that means, this is, this is one of those interesting coaching opportunities that I have with senior leaders is, how much time is it going to take you to be able to model and coach praising aligned behaviors, redirecting misaligned behaviors, on the value side and they look at me and go I've got two hours a week and it's like that's not it's not even going to start
0: I'm going to I'm going to interrupt you right here because mm-hmm. this is such an important point you've called now out a couple times that culture has to become if you would a high payoff or high priority Absolutely. activity you specifically you said it's half the job yeah and now you just started walking into something else I wanted to ask what usually prevents people from doing this
1: you know it's interesting for for the most part leaders are doing what they have been asked to do what they've been trained to do and what they've seen their bosses do whether that's good or bad right so so role modeling is immensely powerful as is reinforcement so what gets reinforced gets repeated and so as we think about why don't leaders invest more time in creating a safe civil god forbid fun set of workplace relationships in their teams and their divisions and their small businesses and their multinationals it's because they've rarely seen other leaders do it and unfortunately they don't know how so so the idea of First of all, are they observing that relationships aren't very good, that trust is low, that that demeaning, dismissive, discounting behaviors happen a lot? To be honest, a a lot of leaders don't even look at that. So it might take an organizational heart attack, some event, and often that event is an engagement survey, right? It's a morale survey. It is a... um, Uh, It it could even be so simple as a customer being so badly mistreated that it, you know, makes the national news. You know, some of our airlines have seen some of that over the past few years, right? That there's such a complete, viral, huge explosion that shows a disconnect of values. And that, that actually hurts the brand. And so the idea goes back to, I don't expect senior leaders to be comfortable observing these nuances of culture or to be skilled in aligning folks to the culture that they want, because they've never been asked to do that. And so my job is to not only help them with the clarity that can come with an organizational constitution, but that that's 10% of the work <laughs> right 90% of the work is the alignment part which is the living it and coaching it and 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 redirecting and not tolerating bad behavior anymore and and cheering to the stars folks that are aligning to your desired values so you can tell it's it's such a wonderful opportunity to say to leaders I get that you've never done this before, but it's okay. You already know how to. We're just going to take those same skills that you use to manage performance effectively, assuming they do, right? Uh, And we're going to translate those into helping you manage values effectively.
0: So let's introduce the performance values matrix now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a nice little uh, quad diagram that can can give us um, a construct. Yep. Tell us how we can use that.
1: Well, the performance values matrix was was, um, initially uh, used by Jack Welch at GE, um, and and Welch was the first corporate senior leader, president um, around the globe, um, who basically demanded values alignment um, as important as results, um, and so that idea is 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 taken from from Welch's work. Um, my view is that um, to help people realize that the the simple again X Y graph, you know, performance on the vertical axis, values match on the horizontal axis. It helps reinforce that if you're all you're paying attention to his performance you're missing a great deal and and what you're missing is how to engage people's hearts and God forbid spirits into a safe civil responsive, engaging workplace where performance goes up, which we'll, we'll talk about here in a little bit. And so it's very simple. There's, there's you know, low performance to high performance. And of course, leaders uh, are constantly driving to make sure that their teams are delivering consistent high performance, exceeding performance expectations. But the addition of that horizontal axis – says while they are performing wherever they're performing right high or low there's also a citizenship right that they're demonstrating they're either modeling your values which would be great they're living those behaviors um, or they're not and and so it's a very simple graphic and of course we've seen xy graphs boy, since what geometry way back in in elementary school, right? So everyone's seen those kinds of, of comparisons. And yet, what it does for leading a culture is it allows leaders to say, well, good, we've got some traction on the performance that we desire, right? But what we are not investing any time in or not consistently enforcing is what a good citizen does around here. And so Excellent leadership, great bosses do both. And so the idea is if you've got someone in that upper right quadrant, which means – they're exceeding performance expectations while modeling your valued behaviors. You should praise the snot out of them, right? You should, you wanna keep them, you wanna pay them large bills, right? Maybe even large stacks of small bills, however you wanna pay them, but you want to validate them and, and encourage them to stay, right? And the folks on the lower left, which is not meeting performance expectations, not modeling your values, You don't have enough time to fix both of those things. And so our coaching, very simply, is lovingly set them free. Let them go somewhere else. Because you don't have time to fix them, number one. And number two, they may never get better. Right? They may never be able to reach – that exceeds performance expectations and may never be able to exceed values expectations on the bottom right of that xy graph is the falls short of performance expectations but great great corporate citizens just just benchmark players around the values and the reality is that costs the business as well, right? They may be terrific people and very kind and and very generous, but if they can't deliver what you're promising, that's going to hurt the business. That's going to hurt the customer experience. And ultimately, it's going to hurt the ability of the business to grow. And so what do you do with those bottom right people? Well, don't fire them yet, right? How do we find a way for them to genuinely contribute? from a performance side, which may mean some creative job creation or job changes, and hopefully they'll find, again, an opportunity where they can genuinely contribute while demonstrating those clearly embedded in their hearts, right, desirable valued behaviors. If they cannot find a way to genuinely contribute, you must lovingly set them free. And, and both of those are, are interesting, let's call it, lines to step across, right? Now, the upper left is the interesting one. And, oh, we could talk for quite some time about the upper lefters. The upper lefters are exceeding performance expectations but thumbing their noses at the values and behaviors. And these folks are poison in a culture because what they do is they, quote, succeed, at that which has been primarily emphasized, monitored, rewarded in the past, which is results, but they do so in ways that can be perceived as unethical, uh, as shady, as bending the rules, etc. And so if you craft an organizational constitution and you formalize different rules of engagement that we're gonna behave according to these values, and you have people that therefore are not living according to those valued behaviors. That that's an interesting conversation, Jim, as you might imagine, because you've got leaders and it happens every time I engage with with senior leadership teams, which is which is how I help them get comfortable with not only defining the Constitution, but embedding it, right? Holding people accountable to it. And those senior leaders are like, We can't we can't fire Chris. Right, he's making us a hundred thousand a year, or a hundred thousand a month, or whatever it is. Yeah, you can, right? Because if you are going to make these values a part of the contract, a part of the covenant of what this organization is going to be, you can't ignore that anymore. And it, and it's interesting because it, it often is, the internal push-pull well, but results are all we've been paying attention to. Yeah, but they're lying and cheating and stealing or whatever, right? So, so it's a very wonderful, deep and rich concept that allows leaders to begin to say, if we have people in quadrants other than the upper right, which is high performance, high values, there's tremendous costs. And of course, senior leaders will say then, then do we do we have to fire the upper lefters? <laughs> like I said if you can, if you can, get them to play right in the arena of the upper right, so that they we're not we're not asking them to sell their souls. We're not asking them for a heart transplant or brain transplant. Although some leaders will go, heart transplant might be a good start, right? <laughs> but it's it's the idea that if you're not asking them to. To significantly change their beliefs, what you're asking them to do is to embrace these behaviors, and and some will. And in fact, it's so interesting. I've had I've had conversations with with folks who. It typically is about 12 to 18 months. This is a long process. To change a culture is a long process, but the good news is everybody's going to be there anyway. So let's let's do something that makes this a more beneficial employee experience and a beneficial uh, leader experience, right? Which therefore leads to a beneficial customer experience. There's all kinds of cool winners out of this thing, but the idea is that. I can't tell you, it happens every time where I get a senior leader pull me aside eight months in, nine months in, and go, George changed. George changed. George actually is living <laughs> values today. And and I swear to God, he just stabbed me in the back for an extra customer a month, right? And so I said, you've changed the rules. You, none of the people that... You are plugging into these four quadrants in the performance values matrix, have lived under a qualification like an organizational constitution. You've never asked them to be recognized before. And so if you do and you define it and you simply say, Here's the way good citizens have to behave here, and if and if you can do that, rock and roll. We're in. We're going to do great things together. And if you can't do that, oh, we're going to have conversations and you're going to get tired of me having to coach you and having to pull you back and say, no, that's not what we do. This is what we do. And so there's some there's some really interesting things. Will, Will people choose to leave as you begin to implement an organizational constitution? Yeah, yeah, they will. Um, some may feel like, yeah, you're not paying me enough to make me be nice to these morons, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Some may say, this is too much work. You know, I'm 50, I'm 40, I'm 30, I'm too old for this, right? whatever it is. I can go up the street and get a job for the same pay, and I don't have to be nice to people. Now, they won't say it that way, right? But if they self-select out, let, let them go. Let them go. And what you end up with is people who might struggle a bit, right, periodically with the alignment to valued behaviors every day because they're well-trained to behave badly. Us humans treat each other terribly. And, and sometimes we do the teasing kind of shade to it. Oh, I'm just joking. But we're really mean to each other. And, and that's not going to craft trust and respect in a workplace and so what that performance values matrix does it's such a wonderful simple visual and many of us are visual learners and it's like oh i get it but then i go deeper to say and if someone stays in the upper left or someone stays in the bottom left or stays in the bottom right how does that cost your business and leaders get it they get it
0: it's almost as though you're saying you become what you tolerate.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So a couple
0: more more questions. Mm -hmm. Now, I wanted to ask you, um, how do you know when you're living within your defined culture? But Mm -hmm. I think a better question is, what have you learned from Gary Ridge and his WD-40 experience? Because you call him out multiple times. I do.
1: I do. I do. Uh, Gary Ridge is is, is brilliant. Gary... um is has been the president of WD-40 companies for 17 years, I believe. I may have that wrong. Uh, and I met Gary in 2000. Um, I was a faculty member at the University of San Diego School of Business for a master's degree program that was sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies, where I'm still affiliated, and, and the School of Business. And so Gary was in that first cohort, and I'm thinking, you've already got two master's degrees. <laughs> You got. You've got a decent job. You know you're doing okay, right? <laughs> and it's like he, he just loved learning. And 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 what has been really uh, immensely enjoyable is to to see Gary grow and to to see Gary appreciate the the way to change a classically structured and classically operated organization to to a tribe, which is their language, of, of people who trust each other, who don't make mistakes, they have learning moments, and the whole idea of a, of a mistake is that's fear. Well, how do you drive fear out of, of the workplace? Well, you have people share what they've learned today, so we don't have the same dumb mistakes being made, because no one knows, we share our learning moments all the time, which changes the frequency of those mistakes and opens people up to learning and opens people up to their fears. So so what Gary and his 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 team has done with this global business is is literally create a culture that is one based on trust and respect and based upon helping others succeed and and, and I had uh, the opportunity to to bring Gary through the magic of of Skype and video conferencing to to one of my newer uh, senior leadership teams with a culture client, and they had all these questions for Gary, and 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 Gary is so approachable and he's so open, and and the president asked him. He said, "So did you have this marvelous strategy all put together?" Gary laughed and said, no, we made mistakes every day. And we're still making mistakes every day. But the idea is that that the people who've been attracted to this business and attracted to this culture are the ones that hold us accountable for keeping it safe and kind and friendly and and also – They've, they've got a lot of work to do, right? They've got customer commitments they've made, and they've got cool new products they're playing with, and and uh, and and so they've got a team that I'm gonna I'm I'm, I'm gonna guess at this, because I can't remember off the top of my head, right now, the engagement rating, they do a survey of their global team every two years, uh, and two years ago, it was 93% engagement. That is highly unusual, and they've been over the 90s for the last five runs. So, so if you think about, is engagement important? Well, it's important because it causes people to behave in ways that serve your customer and your company at the same time. And if people are not engaged, they may, have, in fact, again be tempted to serve themselves because uh, no one's watching, right? There's no rules about being kind and fair. <laughs> Being respectful to everybody, so so Gary Gary has continued to evolve the WD40 companies into a rather remarkable tribe, and uh, the people that work there love it. Uh, the people that work there um, are amazed. Uh, often they they have worked at other places and they see this machine and and they want to be a part of that team. So.
0: Um... Near the end of the Culture Engine, and this is my last question about the book. Okay, Chris. sure. You call out the need to stay healthy. Why yeah. did you Why did you include this?
1: You know, it's it's been a, a lot. My own journey. Um, I had a heart attack in December of '93 and um mom had had by that stage she'd had one open heart surgery she's had two um so her both of her parents died before age fifty of heart disease so there's there there were there were genes involved in in, in my heart disease and yet you know i I weighed two forty um i I was not eating well I wasn't happy what a surprise and so as I started to look at what I wanted to be when I grew up, that's interesting, at 41 deciding, hmm, maybe I should grow up now. Um, but it's the idea that, that I'm certainly not going to have, you know, the opportunity to act upon my servant purpose for very long if I don't get well. And so I'm a heart patient, and I'm a heart patient even today, and, and we're coming up on – you know, 25 years of, of surviving that, uh, that event back in, in 93, which is, is pretty remarkable. And so, so, you know, I'm a child of Western medicine, which means I took pills right early on. And what I've learned over the past 10 years is that if, if, if I'm going to be at my best to be able to coach effectively, to speak effectively and to write Clearly and inspiringly about values in life and values in the workplace. I can't do it if I'm not well, if I'm not strong, if I'm not healthy. So, so I'm down to, to 195. Um, my doctors are absolutely thrilled. Um, I'm on I'm on a diet that works for me, even when I'm on the road. Um, that's that's called the slow carb diet. But as I look at at what I've been able to accomplish and how I just turned sixty six, Jim. You and I were talking about this old age thing. And it's like, well, sixty six isn't old. And it's like, well, when I was forty one I didn't think i was – <laughs> just sixty six, right? But it's the idea that that people look at me and I'm, you know, I'm I'm up until two in the morning, you know, four nights a month playing music and loading gear and driving a, a truck and trailer. And it's like, how do you have the energy to do that? That's not my real job, right? I'm writing every day and, and, and working on on different ways and different avenues and shooting video and trying to figure out what leaders need today to be able to steer, seriously consider Right, investing in their own cultures, and what I've done for the past 15 years is coach leaders to be as healthy as they can be because they're not going to be able to. Number one, be as present, be as calm. <laughs> listen to listen to my voice and my breathing, right? Because this is hard work. This is very difficult work, and you're going to catch yourself doing things the old way quite a bit and so you got to give yourself a break and the only way you're gonna do this well and be present and be able to serve others is to feel strong is to feel healthy is to have a good BMI right that body mass index thing is to is to eat healthily and to exercise enough and to uh, in essence be able to serve others purely based on your own, sanity and well-being and that's that health drive
0: what a wonderful answer and so everyone the culture engine looking ahead what projects are you working on now chris you can share with the audience
1: well, what wonderful timing, Jim! You know, I were talking about this last month. Um, this week, the next book rep- proposal will go to uh, my publisher. Um, Wiley has first right a refusal for my next book, so I'm working with uh, a, a colleague and, and gentleman and scholar, a gentleman named Mark Babbitt, um, who's the author of A World Gone Social, and he and I are working on a book on leadership in the future of work, which is kind of an interesting perspective and interesting take and we're very excited about what we've discovered and the interviews we've been having and the research that we've we've been doing and there's some there's some very cool things that leaders are going to need to do not only today, right, because the future is now, uh, but in the next five or six years or so that they can, um, in essence, create a tribe, create an organization where people feel trusted and respected and validated and can create really cool things in all corners of the world. So so we're just finalizing the proposal now. That's, that's the big thing on the plate. And uh, we know a publisher is going to grab this, which means we'll be writing for the next two months.
0: Fantastic. And I'm looking forward to that. Maybe it's an excuse for another future Starbucks exchange.
1: <laughs> That's easy, Jim. We're not we're not very far from each other and coffee coffee is always a good idea.
0: Well, thank you again. Chris Edmonds, the Culture Engines, what a wonderful joint cast. Thanks again. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for listening today. If you've enjoyed the joint cast, a positive review and kind word to your friends and colleagues would be most appreciated make sure to follow us on Twitter, hashtag choink, C-H-O-I-N-Q-U-E.